Margaret and Roger Pratt planned for years to make their retirement plans come true. They dreamed of a retirement which included living aboard their sailboat full-time and sailing all over the world. They had sailed for years, decades really, on weekends and long vacations. Their time and experience sailing led up to the purchase of a beautiful 41-foot steel cutter, a sailboat named the Magnetic Attraction. The culmination of their hopes and dreams, the trip of a lifetime, ended tragically while anchored in beautiful St. Lucia. This is Twisted Travel and True Crime, and I'm your host, Sandy. Welcome aboard. Thank you, old listeners, for coming back, and new listeners. Just a heads up, I do record on a sailboat, so the sound you hear in the background is the sound of waves against the hull of my boat. I hope you brought some sundowners to drink along with me. Today's case takes us to St. Lucia in the Caribbean. St. Lucia was the first country in the world to be named after a woman. It's also the only home to the St. Lucia parrot. The island is known for its two incredible pitons. These mountainous points tower above the rest of the landscape and cover the majority of the island's nature postcards. If you visit the island, you can swim in the sulfur springs and volcanic pools. The biggest attraction for me is the Roseau Valley, where 21 different kinds of rum are made. After picking up some rum, you can visit the beaches, volcanoes, or the rainforest. These are some of the attractions that drew the Prats to the island. Roger was a retired engineer, and his wife, Margaret, had retired as a management consultant. They had saved and saved for years and had arranged the rental of their home. For as long as they could remember, they had a passion for sailing. It began as a hobby when they were both young, but throughout the years, it had turned into more of a lifestyle. As an engineer, Roger had been meticulous and his attention to detail was extremely safety conscious. They had cruised extensively on the south coast of the UK and all around Europe and were eager to sail across the Atlantic and explore the Caribbean. In July of 2013, they finally said goodbye to their friends and set off on their journey. After spending a great deal of time on the coast preparing the boat for the trip, they spent the first few months touring the east coast of Europe. They explored castles and monasteries, bays and rivers. They visited France, Spain, and Portugal, before making their longest voyage from Seville to Martinique in December. Sadly, only a month later, their trip was brought to an abrupt and tragic end. Margaret kept a blog for her family and friends to follow along on their adventures. The first few months were full of joyous posts, beginning just before their 23-day non-stop sailing leg. They spent a couple of weeks preparing the boat for the long journey. This included several boat projects, upgrades, and the non-stop maintenance that boats require. Roger finally felt the boat was ready. Margaret had been working on food preparation for the trip. She expected it could take upwards of 30 days. She had made 17 frozen dinners for four crew. They planned to bring two of their friends named Brian and Lucy along to help sail the 3,000 miles from Portugal to Martinique. She had stored away plenty more goodies for fresh meals and snacks. 
and they had both worked diligently to safely arrange and store all of their other goods. Some of these things ranged from extra boat parts to water filters to tools, ropes, clothing, and so much more. Perhaps most importantly was good food and drink. These two items certainly keep my family much happier. A few days later, after Brian and Lucy arrived, the foursome set sail for Martinique. It took them 23 days at sea. During this time, their emotions ranged from extreme highs to extreme lows. Sailors tend to agree that sailing amplifies the highs and the lows of the experience, and this holds true for the Pratts. They had the opportunity to experience many of the things that sailors cherish. Some of these high points included seeing the most beautiful stars in the darkest night skies. The middle of the ocean provides no light pollution, so the stars look brighter and so much closer than they tend to on land. They enjoyed catching a meal or two of fresh fish and the excitement of a fast sail through perfect conditions. The sea life was amazing. They also had some lows, though, and this included some very stormy weather and some perfect calms where the boat bobbed to and fro, making no forward motion. They had a water maker that couldn't be used because of mechanical issues, and this led to rationing of water and some stinky sailors. Stinky sailors naturally led to some rainy on-the-deck showers. When the rain would come, the men would lather themselves up while the ladies went below and averted their eyes. The ladies snuck their solitary showers in when they were on watch and it happened to rain, especially in the early morning hours when everyone else was sleeping. The sailors had a few injuries along the way, too. One rough night, Roger was thrown from his bunk and likely bruised or cracked a rib. The last couple of weeks of their long sail, they were dreaming of hot showers, delicious fresh food, and ice-cold drinks. Of course, this would all come after a good night's sleep. On day 23, they finally saw the hills of Martinique rising in the horizon. They had finished sailing the longest and toughest stretch of ocean for the season. They were grateful that they no longer had to ration water, and they triumphantly celebrated their arrival with a glass of champagne. The journey had been exhilarating, but Roger and Margaret believed the best part of their journey lay ahead of them. It was going to be a retirement of sailing, adventure, and companionship. Sadly, a few weeks later, the magnetic attraction would be shipped back to the UK and sold, the reason being that Roger would be murdered aboard the boat. Margaret's blog reported that the foursome arrived in a safe anchorage in Martinique at about 9 p.m. Shortly after their arrival, they posted pictures of the four of them sailing across the Atlantic. They anchored in Fort de France, where they were treated to a New Year's Eve fireworks show, an onshore concert, and a couple good nights of sleep. They celebrated with Brian and Lucy and eventually sent them home with some great memories. The following day, Margaret and Roger sailed to St. Lucia. They officially left Europe when they sailed away from Martinique. The bays and beaches of St. Lucia would be where they would celebrate Margaret's 60th birthday. While there, they enjoyed diving the reefs, visiting the beaches, the villages, and making new friends among fellow sailors. On January 9th, Margaret's birthday, 
Roger had booked a reservation in what was touted to be St. Lucia's nicest restaurant. They had a wonderful dinner with friends, and Margaret retreated to their boat with her heart feeling full. Over the next week or so, they took time to do some scuba diving on some of the local reefs and followed that with a visit to a volcano. There they soaked in natural hot baths and slathered themselves in volcanic mud before rinsing off in the nice, hot, natural pools. This was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for them. They had planned to clear out of the country from Soufrir on the coast and then travel a little further south using a three-day grace period before they had to leave the island. But customs in Soufrir corrected them, saying that they had to leave within 24 hours of checking out of the country. Not only that, but they couldn't leave Soufrir that day because the custom officer hadn't come to work. This changed their plans, and instead they sailed to Villa Fort, which was the most southern anchorage in which they could clear out of St. Lucia. It's much smaller town than Soufrir, and once settled, they went to shore to explore. They were primarily looking for directions on where to go to clear out of the country. They had a second reason, and that was that Roger had stepped on glass several days earlier, and he believed that he still had a fragment embedded in his foot. They stopped at a doctor's office and found that he did indeed have glass embedded near a joint, and the plan was to have the glass extracted the next day at noon. Tragically, that appointment never happened. Margaret's last blog spot was uplifting. They had enjoyed a delicious lunch together, and she wrote that they intended to stay in Fort Vieux over the weekend. They would clear customs on Monday and would leave on Tuesday. The evening progressed as follows, according to Margaret. We had supper on the boat, and I got caught up on the blog. Roger had emailed some friends. She went on to say that they went to bed at a normal time around 10.30 p.m. The boat was completely dark. Suddenly, we heard unexpected noises from the back of the boat and above their heads. They heard people moving around, and they both got up to investigate. Margaret says she remembers Roger climbing up and out of the hatch, saying, Go away, just go away, and then everything gets a bit blurry. She recalls that four masked strangers boarded the boat. They had rowed out in a stolen fishing boat and were attempting a robbery that would turn horribly violent. She said, I remember Roger was fighting one of the young men right on the stern. For non-boaters, that means the back of the boat. She went on to say that as she came out of the entryway, a guy caught her in a half Nelson and another guy began pummeling her. They were shouting, where is the fucking money? As she was fighting and arguing with one of the men who had a mask on, she recalled saying, what have you got that for? And she pulled the mask off his face. She said that because of her actions, she knew there was definitely forensic evidence in the mix. She had also punched and kicked him. She recalls that she damaged her knuckle while fighting. I believe she's proud of the damage she did to the intruders, as she should be. At the same time, Roger was fighting to protect his wife and his boat. Suddenly, the atmosphere changed. Margaret heard the men begin to panic. She said, someone said something in the local patois. They dropped everything and jumped into the water and swam to shore. 
She remembered calling for Roger, and then there was an awful moment when she realized she was on the boat alone. She quickly lowered their dinghy into the water in case he was swimming, and she called out a mayday on the VHF radio. Several vessels nearby responded, and the local authorities raced out to help, but it was too late. As they were searching for Roger, she heard on the radio the words, We found a floating male, face down. Minutes later, Roger and Margaret were settled into an ambulance. In the ambulance, she held his hand. She stated that he was cold. His lower limbs were starting to turn a deep shade of purple. When they arrived at the local hospital, a doctor rushed over and after a cursory once-over pronounced, This man is deceased. The police jumped into action, even though their resources were limited. The island held about 180,000 people, and the economy is heavily based on the image of being a tropical paradise. Tourist murders were bad news. This pushed police to solve the case quickly, and by the end of February, four young men were in court being charged. They confessed to robbery and murder. Roger had died from being knocked unconscious, and he drowned in the waters right next to his home. His lifelong dream and his lovely wife. That seems like an open and shut case, especially with the potential DNA evidence and the fact that one of the assailants had a bite mark on him that matched Margaret's teeth. Not only that, but the attackers confessed. It should have been a speedy trial and sentencing. The problem is that St. Lucia has the world's 16th highest murder rate. There is an average of 21 murders per year per 100,000 inhabitants. In comparison to the Pratt's home country, the UK, which only has 0.9 murders per 100,000 inhabitants. The courts are clogged and the lead times for trials are very long. Five years later, the men were still languishing in jail waiting for their trial. Five years, even with the added measure and pressure of the foreign police departments and families asking for their cases to be resolved. Sadly, there are several other cases of foreigners being killed in St. Lucia, and their cases are going unresolved for a very, very long time, and some perhaps never being closed. A woman named Georgina Mortimer, who was a Norfolk doctor, was raped while on holiday in the island in 2016. She has predicted that her attacker will never be caught due to the slow and, in her opinion, awful response from local police who didn't even take DNA evidence in the form of a rape kit. Another man, a father named Theo Gobak, believes his son Ali was killed in an organized crime hit, and not a great deal has happened in the five years since his son died. He said no one has been charged. British police offered their assistance, but the local authorities were not taking them up on it. A second man, an expatriate named Bob Hathaway, was a well-known figure in St. Lucia's sailing and hotel world. He was stabbed to death in his hillside house in Piat in January of 2019. He had sailed to St. Lucia in 2001 with his first wife. They had bought a home in Margot Bay on the west coast, hoping to retire. Instead, he designed and built the Caribbean's first solar-powered catamaran ferry. A few years later, he helped set up and run a marina and a resort in Margot Bay. 
At the resort and marina, Mr. Hathaway mingled with millionaires who would bring their super yachts and visiting celebrities. In a way, it was a sun-kissed life full of glamour. Expatriate killings in poor countries often boils down to money, and at first it seemed like this may not have been the case with Mr. Hathaway. Friends said that even though he mingled with the rich and famous, he was a man of modest means, but it was widely known that his private life, particularly his infatuation with younger women, held the key to his death. Bob Hathaway had been stabbed multiple times and was found laying naked in a pool of blood on his own bed. Shortly after the murder, the local gossip was that the murder may have happened because of Mr. Hathaway's female friends. They had boyfriends with criminal records. One of his yachting friends said that Bob was targeted without doubt. He believed that there was no robbery or home invasion, and no one believed that it was a random hit. Police speculated that Mr. Hathaway's infidelity was the reason his first wife, who was wealthier than he was, left him shortly after they moved to St. Lucia from the UK. At the time of his death, he was estranged from his second wife, with whom he had begun a relationship when he was 61 and she was only 17 and still in school. He had a reputation for promiscuity, and at the time of his murder, he was believed to be sharing his home with not one, but two young women. He had written to a friend saying that these two women were his bisexual friends. His second, now estranged wife, Marquina, was a slim, glamorous, athletic woman and a self-confessed party girl. When she was interviewed, the Islanders were so taken aback by their 44-year age difference that it was assumed she was a prostitute. She said, That's a myth. I love Bob for who he is and what he's done for me. He helped pay for her schooling but their short marriage ended quickly after she got pregnant by another man. Bob continued to send money to her and was indirectly supporting the child. They were not divorced at the time of his murder, but they had both agreed the marriage could not continue. Sadly, Mr. Hathaway had no family on the island. His closest relative, a sister, lived in the UK. The best man at their wedding had been the former president of the island, and he took on the task of planning his friend's funeral. That man went on to say that he had told police he wants no stone left unturned until the person who committed this terrible crime was brought to justice. That being said, he may have to turn over every stone in the Caribbean because St. Lucia has an overstretched and under-equipped police force and court system. They typically have a terrible record of incompetent murder investigations and snail-paced prosecutions. Perhaps the island president had a hand in the speed at which this investigation moved. One of the two women who was living with him was brought to court and charged with his murder. It was believed by locals that the two women were trying to extort money from him when something went wrong. I searched high and low, and there's no further news as to her charges or court proceedings after 2019. Maybe something is happening. Maybe it isn't. This is the common thread among all these cases. There is consistently little to no communication between the police and the family and friends of the deceased. This type of violence and tragedy would horrify many of the St. Lucian's rich visitors, but it's no surprise to those who live there. Away from the beautiful beaches, the infinity pools, and the travel influencers, the island is gripped by violent crime. 
It's an epidemic rooted in drugs and gang culture. In 2017, 53 people were killed on the island, about 43 in 2018, 47 in 2019, and 26 in the year of COVID. This is all on an island that contains less than 180,000 people and certainly demonstrates its outrageous murder rate. St. Lucia's chief of tourism may be worried about the brutal killing of Bob Hathaway and the attacks on several other expatriates, but sadly, their killers and rapists may not be nearly so worried. There is some good news, though. Seven years after the murder of Roger Pratt on February 21st of 2020, the four men charged with his murder were brought to trial and convicted. Three of the four men were convicted of murder and the fourth of manslaughter. A year later, just this month in fact, April of 2021, the killers received their sentences. Margaret commented on these sentences saying that she was pleased to be able to attend the sentencing of Roger's killers. She thanks the judge and the jury for their careful consideration and was glad that after seven years, justice was finally served. She expects the cases to continue as many of the men will file appeals, and she realizes that her relationship with St. Lucia will be a long one. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's case, and if you did, please take a moment to give Twisted Travel and True Crime a good rating and a review. If you'd like to buy me a sundowner, you can do so by visiting the show description. There you will find references as well as links to donate in either a one-time donation or a monthly donation. Please feel free to reach out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or through Gmail at twistedtravelandtruecrime at gmail.com. As always, listeners and subscribers, I'd like to wish you fair winds and following seas.